peace to you from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonderful works. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Gracious God, you have given us minds to know you, hearts to love you, voices to sing your praise, and we come, our whole person, we come to do all those things today. By your Spirit, be present with us, that we may celebrate your glory and worship you in spirit and in truth, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first hymn is number 125, Let All Things Now Living. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let us bow our heads in prayer and pray, pray the prayer together in the, in the bulletin. Almighty God, who is rich in mercy to all those who call upon you, Hear us as we come to you, humbly confessing our sin and transgressions and imploring your mercy and forgiveness. 
We have broken your holy laws by our words and words and by the sinful affections of our hearts. We confess before you our disobedience and ingratitude, our pride and willfulness, and our failure toward you and our fellow men. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, and of your great goodness grant that we may hereafter serve and please you in newness of life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we would be freed from sin and that we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the gospel when we say together, praise be to God. Beloved people of God, hear the apostolic instruction to put on as God's chosen ones compassion. We are to be compassionate to others because Jesus Christ is full of compassion. How could we be joined with Jesus Christ and not be compassionate? We are indeed to remember Jesus Christ as the one who saw the crowds of people running after him along the shore who had nothing to eat, and he had compassion on them, as the scripture says. Another time, when he met the widow at Nain, whose son had died, Jesus had compassion on her. The compassion that we put on, is the way the scripture talks about it, we put it on in Christ, is a deep sensitivity to the needs and sorrows of others. That callousness, that sort of self-centered buffer that we create around ourselves begins to dissipate and disappear when we're joined with Christ because he has great love for others and that is what begins to be filled up in us. Christ transforms our heart from callousness toward others into loving concern for them. Those in need may be unpleasant to our senses. We might find them to be noxious and we think that way to ourselves, but the compassion that Christ gives us overrides our senses. Yes, Oftentimes, those who need compassion are troubled, they're sick, they don't smell good, or whatever it is. But the compassion that Christ gives us overrides even those senses that we have of them. We want to help them. Christ also cleanses us from any sense of superiority, which is often what comes in us when we see someone else who's less fortunate, who has some kind of problem, we tend to think of ourselves as better off than they are, which is not the way to think when we have the compassion of Jesus Christ. We are to be compassionate to those in need, whatever their needs may be. For this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 88, With Grateful Hearts My Thanks I Bring. Oh, 
Let us with compassion bow our hearts and minds to our Lord and pray for those in need. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in lofty majesty dwells above the heavens and the earth and yet is present in your church through Jesus Christ and by your Spirit, you are present here. We give you thanks for loving us, your unworthy creatures, and for making the church your holy temple and beloved family. We dare not believe that we contain you, we do not think that, and yet we are awed that you, the great and mighty God, unequaled in power and holiness and wisdom, reside with us. And so now we bring our prayers to you in the name of Jesus and know that you receive them and hear them through him. 
Hear us, O Lord. We pray for your church that has been raised up by Christ's victory over sin, death, and the devil. And while the old world acts like nothing has changed, the enemies are still present. We must face the powers of this world. We do pray for all Christian churches to stand firm against the assault of lies and temptations and persecution that come at them. Watch over our missionaries, Mike McCabe and Sam Folta in China, and Hiro Hakobor in Ukraine. And hear our prayers also for other churches and missionaries that come to mind. Hear our prayers. As you rule over the nations, we ask you to humble the proud and lift up the weak. Curtail the ambition of the strong nations and the destructive machinations of those who would seek to do others harm. Restore order and stop the war and destructive governments in such places as in Israel and Palestine, Ukraine, Syria. Stop the violent powers of organizations in the Middle East and Asia as well as Russia and the drug cartels that do great violence and kill people and seem to have no sense of what is good and right and fair. We pray for wise policies to decrease violence in our cities, bring stability and justice to these places. Hear our prayers. For Providence Church, we pray, O Holy Father, keep us firmly in the peace and unity of Christ. May we all live according to Christ's teachings and the ways of your kingdom. May we learn those ways more and more and be strengthened to live accordingly. Filled with your spirit, make, make us faithful to Christ in all circumstances, whether we have plenty or we have hunger, we are abundant, have abundance or want, whether we are made low or brought high. We pray that we would learn to be grateful, that we would serve you and call upon you for those things we need. Here then our prayers for those who are in poor health, or those who provide care for those who are in poor health and for those in need in some way. We pray for Amy and her family, for Frida, for Shirley and Eduardo, for Bob and Fawn, for Jeff and Linda, for Tammy and her family, and for our friends Becky and Karen, Tom, Phil, Barbara, Jane, Bob, Angie, and others we name to you in silence. Heal and strengthen the faith of these your faithful servants and prepare us by your grace for our life in this world, for whatever comes our way, and for our own impending deaths. As our church bears witness to Christ in the Reformed tradition, help us to be gracious to all Christians and to contribute to the building up of the church according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bless us with enough money to maintain the ministry of Christ as he has commanded us to do. Grant wisdom to our pastoral search committee. Help us to meet new people with whom we may speak of Christ. And give us a love for what is noble and good and beautiful and right and virtuous and true in this world, especially in a culture that would downgrade or try to eliminate all of those things. Now we make these prayers and ask them in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. Be seated. And uh, join in praying together um, for uh, the Spirit's illumination as we open the Bible this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here this day, for giving us an opportunity to gather in your name, and um, we thank you for binding us together as your people, and as we have many familiar, uh, though frequently distant, faces with us today. Um, we pray uh, in gratitude and celebration that uh, across the miles, across the generations, um, we can give thanks that in you we are unified and that we have something uh, through you that we all um, can share in. As we open your word this morning, we pray that your, uh, you would send your spirits to illuminate our hearts um, and illuminate your word and um, that we would uh, 
hear well and that we would understand what we hear and that we would love your word today and every time we open it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 1 through 23. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sina. The one crag rose in the north in front of Mishmash, and the other in the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand. And this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, and his armor-bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor-bearer, killed them, uh, and his armor-bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made, killed about 20 men within as if it were half a furrow's length of an acre of land. And there was great panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude were dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. And when they counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. 
Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. Our Psalter response comes from Psalm 107. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Finding no way to a city to dwell in. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He led them by a straight way. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For he satisfies the longing soul. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Some were fools through their sinful ways. They loathed any kind of food. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He sent out his word and healed them. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Our epistle reading this morning comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Our gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 to 45. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. 
And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out, and he began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. The word of the Lord. The American holiday of Thanksgiving is not on the historic church calendars. There are a lot of different Christian traditions, historic Christian traditions, churches that have been gathering and, and celebrating and setting out their orders of worship for, for millennia, really. And it, the American holiday of Thanksgiving is not on those church calendars. How could it be? Those calendars set out the Christian year for churches of many different kinds of nations and cultures. The church year, based on the life and work of Jesus Christ, rises above all of those national and parochial differences. The worship of churches in different places will reflect their dis the distinct language of that place and the culture of that place. The sounds of the way they sing are going to sound a little different than the way we sing. So it will have those differences. But what it is celebrating, if they're following the church year, will be focused on Jesus Christ and the events set in his life. So across the world, the churches, by and large, celebrate the birth, baptism, death, resurrection, ascension, and Pentecost of Jesus Christ. That's kind of the core of the church calendar, centered on, on uh, Jesus Christ and the events related to him. Now, many of those churches also celebrate other special days, like days related to the Virgin Mary, the uh, Annunciation to the Virgin Mary, the Assumption of Virgin Mary, and, and saints, saints who always have to have performed some kind of a miracle that would be a miracle um, that emulates or is the kind of miracle that Jesus Christ would do. So you do have those other days um, in the year that are part of church calendars as well. But even these are tied to Jesus Christ much more than the American Thanksgiving service is tied to Jesus Christ. Now, I realize there are many churches that have special Thanksgiving services. Maybe you grew up in one that, that took the day, I don't know if they did it on the day of Thanksgiving, but um, had a special service of giving thanks that was sort of a national day of Thanksgiving. The Revised Common Lectionary that I consult, a lectionary is a... Um, a book that contains readings for every Sunday of the year, and it has the Old Testament lesson, it has a Psalter response, it has an Epistle lesson and a Gospel reading, and it spreads those out and, and tracks them for three cycles, so for three years they have an A, B, and C year, 
you have readings for all of those Sundays of the year. And the one I consult, the Revised Common Lectionary, um, does make a place for the American Thanksgiving service, but it's clearly an add-on. It really is at the very end of the year, um, and it's added in, in there. And it's as if to say, if you're going to have a special Thanksgiving worship service, this is when you would have it, and these are the scripture lessons to use. So it's, it's clearly something that's sort of extra. We have not had a special American Thanksgiving service at Providence OPC. This church, we've never taken the time to stop and have a special Thanksgiving service. However, it's not because we're ungrateful people. Um, I know you, you know me. We're not ungrateful people. We're very grateful. We're very thankful. We even participate in the National Thanksgiving Day of of Observance. Um, we, We celebrate that. The American holiday of Thanksgiving, we do that in our homes. I think most of you were able to do that last week. And in our worship, we give thanks, but we give thanks every week. Thanksgiving is a major feature of Christian worship. And I don't just mean using the word here and there, sort of in a a sort of perfunctory kind of a way, using it in our hymns and prayers, but Thanksgiving is a focal point. Of our worship. And that brings us to Psalm 107, which is the Thanksgiving Psalm. Psalm 107 is set in the temple with the people gathered together. It's not a private, personal kind of Thanksgiving, although people could have used it that way in their homes, but it was a, a psalm that's designed, in fact, all the psalms are really designed for worship. In, with the people of God together. And Psalm 107 is set in the temple of the people gathered. There was solemnity in that place. We need to understand where they were. They were in the temple of God. There was a seriousness about what they were doing. And it was solemn, not just because it had a religious sense to it or some kind of a mystery and awe that, that people today uh, get caught up in and think it's just it's so different that they enjoy walking through it and looking at it. It's not solemn for that reason. It's solemn because Almighty God was present there. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary, as many of the Psalms say. Symbols of the beauty and majesty of God were all around them. Our sanctuary is rather austere. We do have symbols here. We do have a certain aesthetic Um, sort of uh, structure to our sanctuary. Every place where Christians meet do have those things. But in the temple, it was much more ornate, and there were all kinds of symbols of beauty, of the beauty and majesty of God around the people. They stood in the middle of the central court, and they could look around, and they could see pillars of shiny bronze, the intricately carved fruits and vet flowers that are carved in the wood. They were overlaid with gold. The place was shiny. Bronze, silver, gold, copper, all over the place. And in the front were the temples and utensils that surrounded the altar. In front of the people were the priests who led the congregation in the worship of God. Sounds of music were heard. There were loud, unison responses of the people. And so when they used Psalm 107, 
The priest would call out the first line of the psalm, O give thanks to the Lord for he is good. The people responded, for his steadfast love endures forever. The priest would cry out, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And the people responded with unified voice, whom he has redeemed from trouble. The priest would cry out, whom he gathered in from the lands. And the people would say, from the east and from the west. And the priest would finish that out from the north and the south. And on it went. Psalms were used that way in Israel's worship. The psalm begins with a general call to thanksgiving. Did you notice that? Psalm 107 begins, O give thanks to the Lord. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. Many of the psalms begin that way. Psalm 107 isn't the only one. There are lots of psalms of thanksgiving in the Psalter. Psalm 136 says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. But Psalm 107 very quickly becomes specific after it says, O give thanks to the Lord. And it rehearses four groups of people, four, not five, (laughs) of people delivered from four kinds of trouble. Gathered from the lands, people gathered from the lands, those from the north, from the south, from the east, and those from the west. Four groups. There were those who were hungry and thirsty, wandering in the wilderness. They were perishing. Their soul fainted within them, is the language of the psalm. They lifted up their voices to God, crying out for help. And the psalm says, the Lord delivered them from their distress. He led them out of the wilderness into the city, into the company of God's people. Another group of people that the psalm mentions are those who are imprisoned. They sat in darkness and the gloom of their prison. The psalmist seems to be thinking of the exiles here. Those who rebelled against God, who rejected the counsel of God. God humbled them, sending them into the gloom of exile. But they too cried out to God, and he heard them and delivered them from their chains. The third group of people had become sick because of their sin. They foolishly followed the way of transgression, and they became deathly ill. They lay on their beds, the life slowly passing from them. And in their distress, they called to God, and he delivered them from destruction. And the fourth group was in peril on the sea. Huge waves swelling around their boat, lifting and dropping them. They were tossed about in the power of the storm. All courage and confidence was gone. They were helpless, really. And they cried out to God, and he delivered them from their distress. From north and south and east and west, God had delivered them. Every single one of the people gathered in worship had been in trouble and God had delivered them. Nobody would listen to this psalm and go, huh, that's interesting. I wonder who those people are. None of them. They all had been in trouble and God had delivered them. Every single one of them. Every person in the congregation could resonate with the psalm just like you can. Each one of us has been in a kind of serious trouble where our own courage and strength came up short. So at Thanksgiving meal at our house, my wife asked each of us to relate a time when we were in some kind of trouble and we prayed to God to get us out of it. And for me, it was when I was stuck on a cliff in Arches National Monument. I climbed a rock wall. I was a kid, by the way. Um, I was with my family growing up. I was probably about 13 years old. And I had climbed a rock wall. That, that Arches National Monument is full of these red sandstone rocks and uh, little hills all around. And it's a fun place to go and to climb around. So I had climbed a rock wall. And I reached a point where I could not go up or down. 
So I was kind of stuck on the side of this, on this wall. And I was uh, 20, 30 yards up from the base. I prayed and asked God to help me, and then I had the courage to reach down with my feet and find the ledges, and I slowly made myself, my way back down to the bottom of the cliff. We have had these kinds of experiences of crying out to God, and he delivered us from our trouble, and I'm sure each one of you has some story like that. We, have, we were rescued, we were delivered, we were made safe, etc. As Christians... We don't just attribute that to some sudden rush of excitement or adrenaline or some new ability that we found within ourselves. We credit God with delivering us when we, have those, when we get out of those kinds of troubles. God's deliverance is for us personally, but it's also for us all together. And we have this in common. You see, God has delivered us, not just one or two of us, but all of us. In the words of the psalm, we are the redeemed. Raising our voices together, we can say with one voice, he has redeemed us from trouble. And if anyone in the congregation thinks that they have never been delivered by God, they've never been in some kind of trouble or crisis and been delivered, see me afterwards. And I will examine your life with you. (laughs) God has redeemed each of us together. There's the trouble we experience in our lives, but there's also the adversity of sin. The psalm takes us to this level of deliverance. You see, it doesn't just leave it at the level of everyday experience. It takes us to this deeper reality of being delivered from the adversity of sin. Not just everyday kind of trouble, although God does deliver us from difficulties in our life, but he also delivers us from sin, and that really is the crux of the whole matter. The four categories of trouble in the psalm correspond with the biblical story of God's salvation. It's very interesting when you look at this carefully and think about the story of Israel. It's the hunger of Israel who wandered in the desert places hungry and thirsty. Their hunger was for bread and meat, and they complained about that, but their hunger was for more than that. Instead of calling upon God in trust and faith, knowing that he loved them and had chosen them to be his people that he knew their needs, that he'd provide for them, their hunger grew in them because they denied God. It's interesting, the more they denied God, the more they turned away from God, the hungrier they got. It was a hunger aroused by doubts and rebellions against God. Disavowing his covenant with them, Israel longed to return to Egypt and have another Lord and to live under that Lord. Who will give us meat, they said. And then they talked about going back to Egypt and being under a different Lord, not the Lord God. Another psalm, not this psalm, but another psalm, they had a wanton craving in the wilderness. Later in the land of Canaan, the people sinned against God and he cast them out in his judgment. He cast them out of the land. They were taken away into exile. Captives they became. As Psalm 107 says, because they rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. And in their captivity, they longed to return to Zion, the holy city, and live together in peace. But they couldn't. They were trapped in their exile. They were trapped in a distant land in Babylon. They were prisoners in affliction and iron. Not following God's way and obeying his word, they became fools. As the psalm says, violating his commandments, they took up the way of unbelief and idolatry, which was all around them. There was plenty of opportunity, plenty of temptation, plenty of other ways to go, 
And so they took up these ways of unbelief and idolatry. And this way looked far more attractive to them. It was very self-pleasing. It gave them some kind of a, of a power. They thought they had a power where they could achieve something that would gain some kind of uh, power with God. They worshipped other gods. They were interested in making money, more money than stopping their labor and worshipping the Lord. They took advantage of the poor to become rich. They attacked each other. They spoke lies about others. They polluted their bodies with more immoral acts. We call these kinds of things in the church sin. In the world around us, it might be called um, disobeying the law or, or maybe foolish ways of acting. It's interesting how we don't always think of them as, as foolish, but that's exactly what Paul calls them in Romans chapter 1. He calls them ways of foolishness. Foolishness because it leads to destroyed lives. Choosing to live foolish lives, they suffered in body and soul. They approached the gates of death. Kierkegaard, a famous Christian philosopher, wrote a, a, a treatise called The Sickness Unto Death. That's a great description for what this was. Sickness unto death. They were ill with sickness unto death. And then calamity and disaster of sin overtook them. Violently they tossed about by the stormy wind of sin and rebellion and the people were in great peril. Helpless in the blasting gale of their sin. They were like Jonah caught in that mighty tempest in danger of being wrecked and sinking into the deep. All of this builds together, you see, in the psalm. And the affliction of sin is described for us in scripture as just these things, as a hunger and a thirst. That's the affliction of sin, not ever being satisfied. Have you discovered that with the sins that we fall into and we're tempted and we do them over and over again and we're never satisfied. We want more and more. Darkness and captivity, the way of foolishness and terminal illness and the storm on the sea. These are wonderful metaphors for that sin and turning away from God. The affliction of sin is described for us in Scripture in those ways. Now listen again to the beating pulse of Psalm 107. Yes, you have these four groups, and uh, they build together. Um, but there is this pulse, this beating rhythm in the psalm, and it comes up after each trouble mentioned in the psalm. We didn't read the whole psalm, by the way. I guess you realize that. But um, we can see this, uh, this uh, rhythm here even with the part we read. Verse 6 is where it starts the first time. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Verse 13. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Verse 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And then verse 28. 
Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. There you go. I've pulled them out after each of the groups that are mentioned, and you can hear it, right? You can hear it, and I've, I've said each one, and you can hear that rhythm, that beat of the psalm. God has saved us from the trouble and affliction of our sin, and he has done this through his son, Jesus Christ. So here the psalm is talking about the experience of Israel as they uh, began their new life with God and how they turned away and this, this uh, need for deliverance that Israel had, and it mirrors the story of Israel in the wilderness and in the exile. But it comes to its full fruition with Jesus Christ. God has saved us from the trouble and affliction of our sin, and he's done it through his son, Jesus Christ. In the Gospels are stories of Jesus delivering people from the same adversity of sin that we see in Psalm 107. It's very interesting. And and we had a Gospel lesson that had several of these same kinds of predicaments then Jesus comes and delivers the people from those same things. Jesus saw the hungry crowds in the wilderness. Remember those stories? And he fed them. He delivered them. Jesus freed those who were held captive by demons. Jesus healed and forgave the sick. Jesus calmed the sea and preserved his disciples. So our reading from the Gospel of Mark rapidly tells these kinds of stories at the beginning of the Gospel. It tells the story of Jesus who took Peter's mother-in-law by the hand and made her well. And the crowds who came to him who were sick and oppressed by demons, and he healed them and cast out the demons. And when they were alone, the disciples said, everyone's looking for you, meaning the people right there in that town. And Jesus said, let us go to the next town that I may proclaim the kingdom of God there too, for that's why I came out. Jesus came out to deliver the whole world from the adversity of sin. Jesus Christ frees us. He frees us from captivity to sin. He reveals to us the will of God. He heals our sin-sick hearts. He stills the storm so we will not be destroyed. Listening to the word of God, has not your own mind been stirred up recalling how Jesus has delivered you? Have you not started thinking about that? The particular ways he saved you from trouble and danger brought you through it. We all have our stories. Some crisis came upon us. We cried out to God and he came to our aid. We've all been in predicaments of various sorts. We have, we have, we have been in those predicaments as individuals. We've also been in those predicaments as a church. And God has delivered us. The medical, metaphorical power of the psalm is that it opens up for us that w- what we're delivered from. It's a metaphorical wonder in the psalm that opens up for us what we're delivered from. It's not just from tangible troubles like bodily illness or people who threaten us. Those are real predicaments. Those are real problems. But it's not just that. I mean, he's delivered us from. He's not just delivered us from intangible dangers. Um, he has delivered us from intangible dangers like sin and demonic temptation and death. Not just the things that we see in our life here, but maybe even worse things that we can't see, but we know are there and we feel them. Christ has delivered you from the prison of addiction, from the idolatries of our culture, 
from those temptations that come at you. He releases us from the power of death, even the power of death, by his rising from the dead. Jesus Christ has delivered each one of you from certain predicaments, but most of all from the predicament of sin. And now we owe God our thanksgiving. I want to draw your attention to the refrain in the psalm, in one verse in particular. The refrain is, Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them thank the Lord. And then the one verse is verse 22, And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Those who have been saved by God through Jesus Christ are to give thanks to God. Now, how often? This has come up before. I think it's a good question to ask because somehow we get it in our heads that, oh, I do this, I did this once. <laughs> I, I do this every once in a while. How often should we give thanks for, the, for this for what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Well, given the magnitude of our salvation in Jesus Christ, we are to continually offer our thanks. Continually. God has saved you from sin and destruction, and so we rightly respond with a life of thanksgiving to him. Offering thanks once in a while, every so often, is just not appropriate. It doesn't match what God has done. You'll never match it, but it, it just isn't a full recognition of what he's done for us. Offering thanks once in a while is just not appropriate. Every week, every day, let us give thanks. Be abounding. This is what Colossians says. Be abounding in thanksgiving. But giving thanks to God is not something limited to each one of us alone. We must come together to give thanks to God. God has redeemed us all, not just each one of us, all of us. So we must come together and offer our thanksgiving to God And that's what we do every week when we gather for worship. This is a Thanksgiving service. Central, uh, people come together for many reasons to worship God, and they're all legitimate, singing praises to God, confessing our sin, praying for those in need, hearing the sermon, all these things. But central to the church's worship is the word of God. We hear God's word here. And the proper focus of the preaching of God's word should always come around to the salvation of God, salvation that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. If you ever hear a sermon, and I hope I don't preach them, where it doesn't get around to God's salvation for us in Jesus Christ, you're not hearing a complete sermon or a a proper sermon. It should always come around to what God has done for us. Most of the time, we don't need to hear about what we need to do those kind of moralistic sermons. I know what I need to do, for the most part. I know I need to stop doing this or that. I don't need anyone to tell me that. But I do need to hear what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's something I'm not going to hear anywhere else. Um, There are plenty of people who tell me how I'm doing something wrong in my life or how I need to do this better or that. We need to hear about what, what God has done. We must hear God's word in relationship to this world in which we live, preaching that is abstract and idealistic and never really puts its feet down on the ground for the people seated right here. It just pretends that you're just like the people in the first century, doesn't understand who you are, who we are. We need preaching 
that focuses on this world we live in right now and all the issues and troubles we have in the world right now. We need to hear preaching, hear God's word in relationship to that, our questions, our struggles, all those things. But the proper sermon will always come around to the gospel, to the good news of God delivering us. The preaching then leads to one of the crescendos of Christian worship. So this preaching is leading to a crescendo in Christian worship where we offer our thanksgiving to God. And guess where that is? You already know at the Lord's table. Our thanks is what we offer to God. That's our offering. The church's worship builds up to that moment at the end of the service where we pray the great prayer of thanksgiving and eat the meal at the Lord's table. That is the crescendo of thanksgiving in the, in the Christian worship service. Every week in that prayer, we thank God for creating us. If you'll listen at the very beginning of that prayer, the Eucharistic prayer, the prayer of thanksgiving, you'll hear a mention of God's creation, of, of his, what he's given us, that kind of a thing. But it very quickly moves on to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to deliver us from our sin. And as you have undoubtedly noticed, the great prayer of thanksgiving is more or less the same. Yes, they're not exactly the same. There are some different ways that things are said. There is actually a pattern to the prayer. But it's more or less the same. And that's because God has saved us only through the life and death of Jesus Christ. So there's not too many ways to change that up. Through him, sin and evil have been conquered and new life has been given to us. The magnitude of what God has done covers our whole lives, the whole world, and it lasts forever and ever. And all we can do in response to what he's done for us is give thanks. Come to worship and bring your offering of thanksgiving. Like those before the throne of God in Revelation chapter 7 who shouted out to God and to the Lamb, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And thanksgiving is included in there. That's what we bring to worship. Our thanksgiving doesn't stop here. So we gather here. This is the central place where we give our thanks to God. And then full of gratitude, we go out into the world and we express our thanksgiving to God for God's salvation in countless ways to the people we meet. There are lots of ways of expressing thanksgiving the thanksgiving we have to God, to the people that we meet or that we live with. And then we invite them, we get around to inviting them to join us in giving thanks to God for Jesus Christ. You see, this isn't just a Christian activity, it's to be an activity that everyone is drawn into. We want them to hear the story, to hear the narrative, if you will, that we've been talking about in our Christian education. We want them to hear that and to realize this is the true narrative. And, draw, and be, invite them in to, to join that narrative to give thanks to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, give us eyes of faith to see your hand in our lives, your hand, providing for our needs, delivering us from evil, rescuing us from ruin, but most of all, saving us from sin according to your steadfast love in Jesus Christ. Stir up our hearts and minds so that our thoughts are lifted up from ourselves to you in perpetual thanksgiving with all of your church. Through the same Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Because of the length of the psalm, I took the creed out of the bulletin, but you can find it if you need it on the back, in the back of the hymnal page, I think 846, I think that's what I put there. 
So if you can find that, um, and then I have mine printed out here, and it may not sound exactly the same. <laughs> but we just go, okay? But that's the only way I could get the bulletin put together. So please stand and let us confess our faith of the creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we approach the Lord's table is number 98, Now Thank We All Our God.
collect our diaconal offering this day. Please come forward to collect that. Apostle Paul, uh, the Apostle John, heard the voice of heaven in the book of Revelation and says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty thunder peals, crying, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And the angel said to me, John, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is an extension of the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will have that full meal, that full banquet with all of the host of, of heaven and with uh, all the redeemed one day. But this is definitely an extension of it here and now. The apostle reminds the church, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a communion in the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it, not, is it not a communion in the body of Christ? So we commune with Christ here, and then we will commune with him um, in, at the end when we are raised up with him. This is the Lord's table. He invites us to feast with him. Those who come to this holy meal promise to trust and love and obey him as the Lord of every realm of life and to live in love and concern for each other. It is my privilege as Christ's minister to invite all who have been baptized, who have professed publicly profess their faith in Jesus Christ and our communicant members of a Christian church to come to this, the Lord's table. Join with me now in giving thanks to God for his salvation and life for us in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Almighty God, good Father to us all, your face is turned towards your world. You have judged your creation, you have judged us, but you have not rejected us. And so in love you gave us Jesus, your Son, to rescue us from sin and death. And your word goes out to bring us home to that city where the angels sing your praise. We join them now in that song that we hear 
in Revelation, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Father of all, we give you thanks for every gift that comes from heaven, and most of all for Jesus Christ. Into the darkness of this world, Jesus came as the light of your salvation. And with his word and his acts, he touched sinners with your mercy and grace, and he washed the guilty clean. We remember how the crowds came out to see your son, and yet at the end they turned on him. On the night he was betrayed, he came to table with his disciples to set out the bread and the, the meal for your people. Jesus blessed you, Father, for that meal. He took the bread, he gave thanks, gave it to his disciples, and he also gave the cup to his disciples and said, Do this in remembrance of me. And therefore, Father, with this bread and this cup, we celebrate his death upon the cross in order to set us free. Defeating death, he rose again and is alive with you as our eternal Savior and to intercede for us and your whole church. We ask now that by the Holy Spirit, uniting us with Christ, may our eating of this bread and drinking of this cup be for us a communion in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we and all who share this meal offer ourselves to live for you and be welcomed at your feast in heaven where all of creation worships you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We offer this prayer together, saying, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Lord, now let your servants depart in peace according to your word. For our eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles, and to be the glory of your people, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The final hymn is number 165, Ye Servants of God, Your Master Proclaim.
Good morning. I'd like to expend, extend a special welcome to Jake and Hannah and Daniel and Rebecca and the kittens, as Grandma referred to them last week. The cats and the kittens are home. And with that, we are going to have a reception for Jace, baby Jace, after worship this morning. So stay, if you're able, for that. The next fellowship meal will be next week. Am I right? Yes, I'm right. Next week, next Sunday. We won't have Christian Ed this morning in light of the reception. They'll resume next, no, in two weeks. Okay, in two weeks. So that's all I have. Um, can I see who would be willing or interested in coming to Friday evening prayer this month? I put in the bulletin, I kicked it to February, I can't do it in January. But we could do it in December, I just sort of thought that maybe uh, it was too crazy. But um, I'm getting some response. Um, are there people who would be able to come? Um, I don't know if you're still interested in hosting it at your house. Probably not right now. Yeah, okay. So it probably be at the church, yeah. So, all right, well, talk to me, and otherwise I'm just going to leave it off until February. So the other thing is I wanted to report, we pray for people, um, we include those that you know who need prayers, and my sister is one of those, Susan. And so I just heard that um, a couple days ago that she, she had a, a retinal tear, and those apparently require a lot of, I mean, you have to lay on your side or whatever, whatever mm. position they require for a couple of weeks, four weeks. Um, it's very debilitating and can't lift anything. So um, anyway, she's recovered and she's been given a good bill of health. Right. So now the little gas bubble they put in there needs to dissipate and then she can see. So anyway, that's good news. Um, the Lord has spared her that. Um, it's good for us to hear those things. I, I know I don't uh, encourage that as much as I should. But when, when we've been praying for something and then there's been some result, uh, let's make sure we pass that along. But that's, that's all I have. Okay. All right, you're dismissed.